So hey guys, this is Theo. I just wanted to make a brief uh, introduction for the podcast for this episode because um, there was a bit of a hiccup while during recording. Um, my voice is going to be coming in a little bit of ha- like with a haze and I was doing my best to try and recover it and I had some help from a friend. Um, we did our best to get the file to what it is now, but I do sound uh, admittedly pretty obnoxious. So if, I hope that doesn't detract from the main core of the conversation with Saverin. And it was really great. I was so glad to have him on. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy and just uh, bear with uh, just the lackluster audio on my part. But Saverin sounds great and I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, hey guys, welcome to Tree Bark episode. This is episode 15 already, and I have a creator interview featuring Saverin. Uh, hey Saverin, how are you doing? Doing good. It's a really nice day here in Texas. And uh, I'm so glad you can make it among all of like the kind of hecticness and everything. And um, I, I kind of wanted to start off with, um, to kickstart this, like if you'd like to make a little intro for yourself to let people know what you're about. Um, Sure thing. So yeah. I'm Saverin. Um, I am a podcaster, audiobook narrator, and convention organizer. Uh, I have been involved in the furry community for 23 years or so, and have been podcasting for the past, like, 14-ish. It's been a very long time. And Wow, 14 years. Wow. I've been involved in convention organizing since 2008. So I've got my fingers in all sorts of furry pies. <laughs> I know your pubs are everywhere. Um, and I actually start, well, 14 years for the podcast. I personally have been really enjoying um, Southpaws since about three years ago, back in like late 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've really loved it. And that's been a partial inspiration for starting a podcast myself. And no less like in the furry community, I really love how it features a lot of aspects of the community. And it keeps like a nice rounded amount of like news and information for me to keep up to date with the community. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for the constant 14 years of uploads. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of those things that it's evolved a lot over the years. And uh, once we rebranded, it kind of shifted into more of the current events format that it is today. Yeah, I, I've been trying to figure out this format for myself, too. I've done only, like, a handful of episodes now. Like, yeah, we're on to 15. And I've been taking this route of doing more kind of, like, one-on-one personal um, uh, interviews. Have you guys um, developed this format where it's just, like, more of a weekly casual thing for you guys? And, like, I, I really kind of like that casual nature because it, it feels, like, really connected. Well, one of the benefits is that the podcast has always been a local recording. Uh, Well, up until the past few months, we all live locally to each other. We're friends and have been working Mm -hmm. together in the local community forever. Like, Mm -hmm. I've known Shiva since I was, like, I I attended her first room, a room party of hers at an Akon in 2004-ish. So, like, she was running free room parties at the local big anime convention back when I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, it's we've been friends for basically forever, and so it's when it's in person, we're all sitting around smoking the hookah. Uh, it makes it very easy so that you don't talk over each other. Um, we've been adjusting a little bit to having to do a thing remotely, and uh, that's a little hard, but you know, practice makes perfect. 
Oh, you you mentioned about like having a local anime convention. I find myself kind of in a sim similar situation there because um, I am based in Hawaii, and we have this uh, convention called Kawaii Con. It's like cute convention, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, they have this every year. And I'd say it's our biggest kind of like anime culture sub type of subculture uh, convention. We sadly have no uh, local big fur conventions here. Um, so how did that like gravitate from the local anime scene into the more furry uh, developed convention for you? Well, back in the day, uh, the closest local convention to us was Method Fur Meat in Memphis, Tennessee. And that's still like about an eight hour drive. And mm -hmm. so around 2007, 2008, we, with a number of our founding, the Fiesta board founding members really were like we'll make our own convention here in dallas and basically we just kind of got together we had a little bit of lawyer input we had some input from the folks that ran uh oaklacon they really helped us out in the early days and mm -hmm. basically we wanted to level up from doing just room parties at other conventions to having our own little shindig here in dfw mm -hmm. um, thankfully because we had been doing those kind of events. We had a lot of ins with the local convention community and people who knew what they were doing. And they helped us get in at the Crown Plaza, which was where the first Furry Fiesta was held back in 09. Uh, oh, nice. And that was put together with spit and string and like 15 staffers and $11,000 <laughs> from all of our own pockets. Um, oh, wow. Okay, so it was personally funded from just a handful of you guys wanting to really, you know, push the envelope and organize this for everyone? Yeah. Uh, back in the day, the seed money from the very beginning was basically from a good number of ours' pockets. Um, just wow. because we really wanted to see it happen. And now it's a self-funding, self-perpetuating thing that so long as we keep getting to do it, we'll be fine. Um, but I know, early especially... days, it was rough. Wow. Yeah, that really does give me hope, at least for like my state, too, because one of the largest things that we've had is um, also like at our local convention, um, our local group has done a few um, fur panels. And it seems like beyond, you know, like some crowds actually like want to learn more about the furry community and everything. So they sit down and we try to educate them as much as possible. Um so I think if we can go that route, yeah, we can develop a little bit of interest. And I want to see if we can actually, like, um, garner the attention from both maybe uh, the Western side, the Western coast, and, like, the Asian Pacific, because we're based right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, so that'd be a huge challenge for us, too. Yeah, it uh, seems like it would be. I mean, you can always start with doing, well used to be able to start to be able What's to that? permits <laughs> right you know just get together have big meets at like parks or public places yeah we we do do that and we had we um our most recent thing before like the whole shutdown closure stuff um was having a local uh, fur walk and we did that through Waikiki and we just be a bunch of us in suit and we'd have some handlers and then we go down the whole strip of Waikiki and like all the tourists want to take pictures like oh my god that's like the best feeling ever that's um, a lot of fun so, yeah we really enjoyed that I'm glad we could squeeze that in just before the, <laughs> the clown show um but uh, so with that, though, that uh, that's kind of what I wanted to lead, lead into, if you don't mind talking about it a little bit. And it's kind of like 
from all of these uh, local conventions and meetups and stuff, seeing how like a lot of the furry community goes from the online world to the physical world when, when we meet up, um, having all of these closures now, like how has it been difficult for like a lot of the cancellations and whatnot in the convention space? Well, it has been a major bummer because in addition to running helping run furry fiesta i also mm -hmm. uh work with for planet as like a assistant vendor and so i go to a number of conventions every year uh this year i had like fwa uh anthrocon and biggest little uh, not blfc um alamo city furcon on mm -hmm. my on my slot for the year and so far it looks like none of them are going to be happening so the last convention i attended this year was furry fiesta the con that i staffed and busted my ass for but that's yeah. fine but it has put us in a lot of uh, a bad situation because we're looking at what everyone else is having to do furry fiesta was very lucky we were able to run before the shit hit the fan and yeah. we we ran had a good successful year had a bit of growth very nice. So we're poised for Free Fiesta 2021 in theory. Um, but once this happened, we're seeing all these conventions have basically to postpone, or do online stuff. But in the convention world, like I can get into the real nitty gritty of convention, like content no, yeah, and stuff. Because I'd love I, to, yeah. I have lived this life for, what, 12 years at this point? And so... When it comes down to these convention contracts with hotels, the biggest problem is attrition and just the cancellation fees. Um, more often than not, uh, you can't cancel a convention without just losing your shirt. Mm -hmm. uh, like, in my experience, because uh, I also ran a convention called Nightmare Nights, which was a My Little Pony fan convention that ran from 2013 to 2017, 2018. And... So I got to see all the contracts up close and personal and put my name on them and go, oh, Jesus, I hope I don't have to execute on any of these, like, payment clauses. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, the day you sign a hotel contract, you owe them 50%. Like there, That's a down payment. It's not a down payment. You don't owe them any money. But from that point, if you cancel that contract, you have to pay them 50% of what that contract's value is if you cancel. Oh, I see. So, okay. Like, that contract is signed in blood. And yeah. that only escalates as you get closer to the convention, three months out to 30 days out. At 30 days out, you owe them the full value. Um, and mm -hmm. the full value, that is a combination of room rental, various fees, and room nights. So you would be on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, like, And this has been posted publicly, so I don't feel too bad mentioning it, but like, if Fiesta was forced to cancel in like okay. uh, a full situation, it would very easily be half a million dollars. And, yeah, I imagine that there's also an expected amount of earnings that you guys are going to be leading up until that payment, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, that's that's only if we are, we cancel ourselves. The big saving grace for a lot of these conventions right now was uh, basically a clause called Force Majeure, which basically it's acts of God. Um, if the government says, like, an act, like, act of God, like if a tornado hits the hotel, you can't have the hotel there, the con there. Can't help it. Nothing yeah. to be done. You get a flood whatever can't help it nothing to be done um if the government says no you can't have gatherings over a certain size which we're in right now that's force majeure you just say well i can't host this convention 
we just need to shrug and kick it down the road to the next year. And that's that's what a lot of conventions are getting to do. They just push their existing contract into 2021 and nothing happens really. Um, nobody owes anybody extra money. The hotel gets to keep the business for the next year and everybody kind of shrugs. Um, oh, okay, so that's that's actually pretty positive than, than what I've heard because I thought a lot more uh, cancellations um, would involve many fees and a lot of like legal action. Um, but it seems like this is more of just a delay. It really depends on the city and the hotel and the various rules because like... You know, every hotel chain is different. Every, ho every yes, hotel yes. is owned by different management. And so, like, if someone's feeling punitive, they could be real jerks about it. But uh, a lot of these th places are hopefully going to take the long view where it's like, well, if we force them to run this year and they don't hit their targets, they're going to owe us money, but they can't pay it. So they're just going to declare bankruptcy and and disappear or we can just yeah. delay it and we can hopefully continue getting money from them in the long term exactly uh, and yeah a lot of um conventions i imagine like for the community around in that city it furries bring hundreds of thousands of dollars to a lot of the other venues in that city so that's another thing that i think that they'd probably look at definitely so uh anthrocon had posted out uh, some press release a couple of years ago, I remember that Anthrocon's impact on the weekend is to the tune of around $10 million on a single oh my week gosh. into the local community. And for many times, wow. like if you remember the, uh, remember Fernando's, the, it was a restaurant Fernando's. that was open down by the Anthrocon hotel or Anthrocon convention center in downtown Pittsburgh. And they were having financial difficulties and the furry community raised like 25 grand for this guy. So he could, because he had like sudden medical bills or whatever, and the free community yeah. to save the guy's restaurant and help him out or whatever. Um, oh my god, that's beautiful! But I've heard it said that the single weekend of Anthrocon rate is about three months of income equivalent for some of these restaurants. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a major impact. Um, um, and I have another example. Uh, there used to be a convention, Oklacon, which was in a rural state park in near Watonga, Oklahoma. Um, they got they got screwed by the homophobic uh, park rangers and some stuff. And some stuff went down, but basically, oh, wow. what happened is the net result is that because that convention left, eighteen okay. percent of that small town's GDP just poofed. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's just like the furries would come in, spend a crapload of money over the course of a week. Yeah, and spear for another year, and all they had to do was tolerate the queers, but they couldn't oh do that, <laughs> and so twenty percent of their town's income vanished. Oh man, oh, that's such uh, just uh, yeah, that's just really unfortunate. And like to to see like the long term investment and like the amount of charity that goes into the conventions too. Um, that's like a really huge missed opportunity. And the there is, though, uh, moving forward with that, um, a lot of people are hosting, like, the VR chat is, like, booming more than ever. Like, people having online conventions and meetings, it's, um, that's really nice to see that we're thriving in that way. Yeah. Um, that, I, that's, sorry. <laughs> chat is really cool. Like, I haven't, gotten into that i mean i have a vr headset even a bit i haven't gotten into it but i've seen uh actually just posted in one of my uh, telegram chats a little bit ago that there is a that fur reality is doing a virtual reality furry convention in like vr chat 
Oh, is that going on soon? Uh, Friday, or, what, May 22nd what, what through Sunday, May 24th on furreality.org. F-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y.org. Are you familiar with uh, King Sheba? Have you ever seen any of his work? Um, the name is not ringing a bell. Sorry. Um, no, he's a. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, he and Rectal Bisque, uh, they're these. Uh, I, I believe he's a furry, and he makes these uh, really cute Shiba models for VR chat, and they're super expressive. So if you ever get a chance, try to check them out. I might send you a link sometime. Um, but yeah, Shiba King makes these really adorable Shiba models in VR chat, and there's a ton of furries who have been getting the models and customizing it. So you'll see them all over VR chat. Um, yeah, and are you um have you heard of a uh, nonstop pup? I he he has hosted a Minecraft con actually for last year's convention online. I, I'm I've again I've see, seen the name online, uh, but I'm not super familiar with their work. Uh, no problem. Um, so yeah, that is an option for folks out there. Um, there will be a nonstop, I believe it's called nonstop world Minecraft con. Um, I could probably put some links below. Um, but yeah, try check that out. Uh, so for you though, Severin, um, how do you kind of see this, not to jump the gun too much, but how do you see this kind of disseminating over maybe the next few months or so? Cause we are starting to see a little bit of uh, openings now for some restaurants and places around the uh, country. Well, um, here in Texas, our, uh, governor and, and lieutenant governor seem dead set on getting people killed unfortunately uh oh Wait. um uh -oh. <laughs> so texas is one of those states where they're like we're gonna reopen everything fuck it it's been two months and i'm tired of staying at home and so we're gonna reopen everything force frontline workers back to you know work at taco cabana or whatever and so that you know karen can get her roots done mm -hmm. not a taco cabana um... but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and so, like, we've opened, like, a number of places have opened up their dining rooms at 25% capacity, which is silly because it still has, they, a single person can still infect an entire space if they're coughing and breathing in it. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's at 25% capacity or not. And at, I think the 18th, they're like, we're going to let gyms reopen. Yes. Hmm? Let's all get sweaty and breathing most... heavy. On... The most cultured, like, cesspooly type of place, really? <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, like, I'm someone who is on a higher risk category because I have bad asthma. And oh, okay. so, like, if I catch it and it does, like, the damage to my lungs, I'm pretty boned. Um, so, I've been taking this very, very seriously. Um, mm -hmm. And so, for me, I'm really concerned about, like, people wanting to go out because... God, I miss my friends. Like, I wish I could sit and enjoy hookah with Fuzz and Shiva and my friends and go see my parents, but it's not safe. And so, like, I think that in the long term, this is going to be a seismic shift in society's interactions. I, I fully believe that this is going to, for most people, uh, really shift how they do large events. Um, mm -hmm. and so like we've been, it, it sucks on the convention side because we've been seeing five and six and 10 and 12,000 people conventions in the furry community. But I think that's going to make a, this is going to make a lot of people double, double 
uh, second guess themselves if they want to go because you know even if we do get a vaccine this whole two-month period is still going to leave a big psychological impact on folks um, so yeah, they, just the regular, the day-to-day practices now of just even wearing a mandated mask everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, it's cool because like people have been turning them into like fashion statements and the like. Yeah, <laughs> I um, have seen that. <laughs> I have a couple. I have a, actually it's an extremely early, um, it, it's a furry maw bandana that I got at a Ooh. very late, late Rocky Mountain Fur Con. It turns out that like it's a creator that's still around and they've done much more refined product, but it's just like I had this sitting in my closet amongst my other stuff. I was like, well, I can use this as a mask. So I've been going around with a bright yellow furry mouth bandana at times. Oh, nice. The other mask I have is a Legend of Zelda Sheikah clan mask. So <laughs> it's kind of no, out there. Yeah. Wow, how far, yeah, no, no better time to use that mask, yeah. The... Uh, I've seen people do 3D printed ones that are look like furry muzzles. And I'm oh, like, what? And it has like a filter in it or something? Yeah, like it has the filtering slots, but it's like a wolf muzzle or a lion muzzle. And they're 3D printed. And I'm like, holy crap, I want one. Oh, that sounds so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I got to check them out too. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I guess, hmm. I, it does kind of make me think like I hope a lot of other businesses and places like that aren't trying to like bank on you know a pandemic or anything like that but it is good to of course make more resources available for people's health um, so yeah there is that uh, for the yeah for like the cultural seismic shift like you mentioned it, it seems like um, if anything yeah large conventions and meetups concerts anything like that we're going to have like at a large scale is just kind of at the back burner right now. Um, for even for like local meetups, I think maybe, although we've all been kind of like, I'll admit I've been freaking lonely, um, to, to slowly get back into meeting up maybe with a handful of friends and then have our local meets. And then eventually like the, the fur walks again, uh, is going to be a kind of a sensitive area to try and make sure that we're being responsible and also having fun. Like <laughs> that's all that I want to have. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, to kind of reminisce, if anything, um, for you as a con coordinator, um, over the years, how, what are some of the favorite aspects of the convention for you to actually organize or, um, just be involved in generally? Cause there's a lot of facets. Well, for me, um, I've served on the board of directors for uh, Drama, which is now a Creature Arts, because we were a 501c7, uh, and now we're a 501c3 official charity as Creature Arts now, so that's cool. Um, oh, nice. And so, like, when you really get the, to see how the sausage is made, um, the various <laughs> agreements that have to be made, the various negotiations with individuals, um, I... My point of view is that I've been attending conventions since I was like 15 and mm-hmm. not for conventions, but conventions in general. And mm-hmm. my point of view is like, well, I had a lot of fun as a teenager and young adult doing this. And now it's my turn to be the facilitator of the next generation of kids to come to a convention and have fun. Um, that's kind of been my view. It's like I had fun and now I help other people have fun. 
that is an awesome way of thinking and not to like interrupt too much but yeah i feel like after going to so many conventions you want to give back in a way and that's when you want to get into volunteering and then eventually yeah hosting your own that sounds like a natural like awesome way to give back and so for me like on i've been involved on the upper upper levels on the board but also i run the electronic gaming department for furry fiesta which is just basically hey come play some video games and unwind for a bit and i've been doing that since the beginning and it's primarily been based on like my own console collection and getting people to bring their stuff but it's basically getting people together running some tournaments having some fun and using it as a shenanigans diffusement <laughs> if people can go do something and don't get bored they're less likely to act up and do something dumb Ooh, actually that's a good that's a good form of security too yeah so like i run it because hey i love video games and they're fun and i like letting other people have fun but it also serves a good back-end reason as well um and like this year uh furry fiesta 2020 we really, really, really upped our game. I had the assistance of Kalis from Catbox Arena, who's a mm-hmm. furry fighting game dude. He's down in Austin and was running like weeklies and stuff down there. So what we ended up doing this last year is like we got a big investment in the department, upgraded to having like ten PlayStation Fours and some more TVs. And oh, nice basically ran what was essentially a mini fighting game tournament over the course of the of multiple fighting game tournaments over the course of the weekend um and it was a lot of fun we had a seating area we had a projector so that everyone could sit down and watch things on a big screen and it was really like the culmination of what i've really been wanting to do for the department for a really really long time um so like i'm big into like fighting game tournaments and stuff like that so i really like the fact that i can bring that kind of positive energy into the furry community which i love so the tournaments so so how how did that kind of play out um you had so many people enter and like there was a grand prize or something or how, how does that work um basically what we ended up doing we had like a water bottle like first second third like first person got an attending membership for next year like five dollar in for and the money all went to care the Big Cat Rescue Charity in Bridgeport, Texas, that Fiesta has had as its charity forever. And basically we had, like, we had didn't have that many entrants on the first couple ones, but Smash had, I think, 96 people playing oh, wow, Smash wild. Brothers. So that was exciting. <laughs> um, that, that tournament took a while to do because we only had five consoles. Um, oh, wow. But... It worked out really well. It was very exciting. We were able to stream it also on uh, Kalis's, uh Twitch channel, and it it worked. It was really exciting. Um, and, like, I just really enjoy... It, the planning is stressful. The budgeting mm-hmm. is a little hard. But when you really get down to, the like, just the execution, pulling off the weekend, and just flying by the seat of your pants sometimes, it's just... It's really fun. And, and then like then when you're done and you get, you know, people appreciating you and thanking you for it and people telling you what you can do better next time. It's like, all right, cool. This went really well. How can I do it better next time? That's a, yeah, that's exactly I think how I treat a lot of my own projects. Like, oh, I'm gonna see if this works. 
and yeah, I'm gonna fly by the seat of my pants, and I made it through it, and then now I can live to see the next one. <laughs> um, so, oh yeah, so speaking of video games, um, dude, like, I've been on Animal Crossing for at least the past, what, has it been out for like 50 days now? Yeah, it's been out 50 Some, days. <laughs> that, that also freaking, like, what is time? That blew my mind. Um, cause when all of this, like Animal Crossing couldn't have come out at a better time along with Doom and a bunch of these other games like Alex and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. I got my 50 days on the game yesterday cause it has a little, like, it's a nook in, in the little nook phone thing. It tracks your number of days. It tells you mm-hmm. until you get to 200 days and then it's like, you're done. But yeah, I got that and it's just a matter of... Go, uh, just refining my island and buying expensive things and putting them in my house to get that Happy Home Academy rank up. Um, oh, get that five star island. Yep. That's... <laughs> I'm a. Are you a fan of Doctor Who? Because I'm a dirty Time Lord. That's a fun show. I've uh, watched a lot <laughs> of the most recent series. Um, um, I don't know. Have they still been? Uh, what's the latest season? I haven't been keeping up. Thirteenth uh, Doctor but, uh, had a full season that ended, I think, a couple months ago. Um, oh, nice! But yeah, I've seen some of the stuff people have done. There's like a blue British phone box. It's it's not Ooh. quite the phone box like the Doctor Who phone box, but it's a British style uh, public telephone thing. And I've seen people make some fun little Doctor Who referency uh, dioramas in the game. Oh, in their town? Oh, that's cute. I like that. Because, well, I'll be honest, yeah, I, I, I only mentioned the Time Lord thing because, yeah, I have been, uh, what do you call? Cheat? Is it cheating? Time if traveling. You, yeah, is that cheating? I don't know. I'm, well, I'm, I... You're not actually punished for doing it anymore. Um, the only thing that'll happen is your turnips will rot if you have them. So, and like the devs have said, it's not a big deal. They don't care. Oh, okay. I'm safe. Okay, cool. They won't, like, um, banhammer me. <laughs> oh, no. Previously, oh, okay. in, like, earlier versions of the game, you'd get, like, Rossetti on your butt about it. But yeah, I, I'm so bummed that he's not there. I'm, I'm fine that he got fired because, like, I don't want yelling at me, but... <laughs> also, with the way that, like, the games work nowadays, like, the suspend states and whatever, it's kind of hard to do what you would do in those earlier games. That is true. It it seems like this game has been the most streamlined among all the other games. The only thing that they like really uh, kind of like tightened on, or they're controlling more of the holiday events now, aren't they, with updates? Yeah, which I think is good because that way they permit time traveling, but also make sure that people are experiencing the holiday events at the time of the actual holidays because like the bunny day stuff was patched in the earth day was and may day stuff was patched in because we live in the modern interconnected world they can just send us updates versus having to have everything on cartridge as it were um yeah and like it also allows them to like i have a couple people who are in southern hemisphere or in australia or whatever and so, like, for them, it's fall, and it'll be winter soon. So it's like, well, uh, you know, go down there and get, experience the winter stuff early. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was cool to let you choose your hemisphere, because it makes sense. Um, yeah, it does. It's like, oh, well, yeah, just make the real world an analog. <laughs> so. And, 
the oh well, i did have this conversation about um kind of like ha with my mate about having like a full game would you rather just have a full game or something that like the the company would support long term to increase the longevity and the playability of a game How, what is your kind of take on having dlc or just a one-time package well when it comes to games like animal crossing i do like the fact that it's getting long-term support because like they've done this with uh they did it with splatoon for a while they did it with smash brothers they're still doing it with smash brothers and, like mm -hmm. nintendo has a pretty good track record they update things for about a year or two and then they stop so like eventually animal crossing new horizons will stop getting updates but by that point it'll been at least a full year and we'll have all the holidays and all this other stuff and so you can just kind of play the game indefinitely um so like it it is more or less a full game like i don't think they're going to be adding any other features or quality of life stuff that they really could add i wish like mm -hmm. you know, bulk crafting and stuff like that uh there was a fan-made trailer i don't know if you've seen I, but I um that and i'm like oh, God, i wish <laughs> i wish i i I legit thought that there was a Nintendo Direct that I missed, and I was like, when did they add all of these updates? <laughs> yeah, I saw that, but then the bottom left corner, it says Nintendo don't, and I'm like, oh, oh bummer. <laughs> got my hopes up for half a second. How dare you? Exactly. And then, oh, yeah, even Nintendo's um, still on hold for another Direct. A lot of um, other people, like, uh, I follow Arlo. He's another Nintendo, um, I guess you could say, like, reporter. Mm -hmm. And they've been theorizing that the based on their previous scheduled directs that it should have been happening at least like late this month or uh, last month um but it seems like they've just been relatively quiet this whole year so that's interesting yeah like from all the other like gaming podcasts like giant bomb and waypoint radio and the like a lot of their discussion is basically nintendo is incredibly old-fashioned and very very bad at this working online stuff so they're reacting pretty slowly so we might get a direct on what's going on in the next little while or maybe not um because mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw it but like xbox series x uh they just did like their uh third party game reveal video the last couple days and it was basically being run from a zoom meeting and it was really funny oh my because the guy's headset kept like green screening out getting chroma key oh out. no hilarious but hey but that's no different from the regular demos right yeah i mean the guy wasn't on screen for very long and he was just running video so it worked but like microsoft being an american company and whatnot probably has a little bit more experience doing the remote stuff streaming whereas i'm pretty sure like nintendo is very very regimented very structured and like they have their timing on the directs down to a t <laughs> So. Yeah, and if you break that format, the flexibility sometimes is just not there, and maybe that's what they're facing. Yeah. Um, I even heard, like, in Japanese culture itself, that when people are working on projects with, you know, their partners or the boss itself, the workplace relationship tends to be more in person. So it'd be somewhat rude to work at a distance from, like, your employer and stuff. That's that's kind of just specul speculative stuff. Um, but yeah, just a different world. <laughs> uh so for for yourself though um with i guess 
just with kind of getting up to speed on like news and whatnot it's kind of it seems like there's a little bit of a standstill even for some other podcasts that i follow it's like <laughs> not much else to talk about of um regarding like you know covid and stuff mm-hmm. um how have you been just kind of keeping up with your daily stuff to just you know engage with people and maintain sanity <laughs> well Twitter is really bad for sanity. Um, it is yes. very, oh my very depressing in many, many cases. Um, I've been primarily keeping up with people via Telegram and over the phone, which, holy crap, you know, taking a phone call, making a phone call? Who does Talking that? on the phone? Using my, you know, iPhone 11 as a phone? Um, and really, that's, like... <laughs> For me, I have a good close relationship with my parents, and so like I keep up with them multiple times a week, because like they're they're in their late their mid sixties, not in the greatest of health, dealing with all this stuff here in Texas. It's like ah, you know, and so yeah. up with them, and just keeping up with friends. Like I have uh, the Southpaws fan chat, which is nice and busy, but I also have like a California friend group um, for the last. Well, since like 2014, um, I had a weekly Londoner pub meetup with a bunch of pre- my now previous uh, con staff from Nightmare Nights. And it was just like a weekly hangout. We'd get together, have a couple drinks, talk, chat, sketch, all that fun stuff. It was like a weekly firm meet. And like we have our we have a, a uh, Telegram group now, so we're keeping up with each other that way. Like... <laughs> posting like Sunday night, posting pictures of the beer we're drinking, so we can <laughs> virtually drink together. Um, oh, that's oh, that's really adorable, though. So, I mean, it's just making sure that you keep in touch with folks because you know you can't see them in person. It's like holy yeah. crap! I finally developed a good social life as a middle-aged adult. What's going on here? <laughs> oh no, it's all gone. That was um yeah the first thing you said about social media kind of keeping away from those uh, echo chambers is really important. I found out like sometimes when I'm doing my own artwork and stuff, if I've like realized that I've only been engaging with people through notifications on Twitter, it's like okay that's just unhealthy. Yeah. And then and then I'm reading like politicians tweets and stuff and I'm like what what am I doing? I need to interact with like <laughs> people in my life right now. The but um oh what's up yeah a lot of times it's just not good to like you see the trends on the side of the thing they are tempting they're si- they're shiny but don't click them <laughs> they are generally not good mm-hmm, um, because it's it's just a rabbit hole like one trend after another and then I don't know I just find myself getting kind of grumpy I'm like why am like stressed out it's like oh i've been paying attention to way too much one thing i've done on twitter to manage things a little bit i made a list of just artists that i follow because i follow well according to this 98 artists on twitter and oh damn so i just click that and it's just a list of all the art and all the stuff that they retweet and since these are artists more often than not it's primarily just art Oh, so lots of furry porn. So you're trimming. Okay, so yeah, you're basically streamlining and trimming the fat for your timelines. Yeah, and with the list feature, you can just be like, all right, these are the people I know. These are the people that I just want to see their tweets. And honestly, I've had to just mute a couple of my mutuals because they just get into some 
constant nonsense. It's like they beat their heads against the wall and for funsies. And I'm like, man, I can't handle you right now. And then you just mute them and you're still okay. Mutuals, That's fair. But you don't see them engaging with like turfs or internet baddies and it's just like drama stuff yeah because <laughs> yeah it does affect the people around you and it's like oh um i don't want to kind of pay attention to the 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 bad vibes right now um so that, that's really smart i should actually start making lists thank you for that <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so for it's bad so yeah twitter um it's weird because it's like i can't think of anything like better in terms of like the transparency because like you get a, like a hard line iv for everything because it's so fast but it's like because there's no real filter you have to be your own filter yep uh so i mean kind of um going way back now because i do like to ask a lot of um my furry friends and the people that i interview uh for you it, this may have been a time and time-tested question but for you how have you uh entered the fandom was it through online or through a friend how did that kind of uh play out for yourself so way back in the dim few dim past of 1996 uh a young saffron got themselves a computer at home and a 28.8 modem oh and <laughs> aol 3.0 and very quickly found their way into looking up like well you know i was a i was always a really big fan of robin hood and the lion king so i was a proto furry before i knew it and then <laughs> basically i was looking up robin hood stuff and found my way onto vcl mm -hmm. and to uh gay unicorns banging and that was a life-changing experience um and from there, I basically found out, like, what furry was back then and, like, finding old uh, story archives, like the Miavir furry archives. I don't think that exists anymore. Um, the Orlando furry archive, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, Belfry Comics art, uh, directory, back when furry web comics were a big thing. Um, so, like, this was very, very early internet very public very early public internet because like furries had existed on like bbs's before that and are those uh, like message boards or yeah. i'm not quite familiar because i was uh i think i was two at the time yeah <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the the bbs's were basically text only bulletin boards um that you would dial in and there was like alt fan furry alt fan werewolves um, there was lots of that but that was mm. actually before my time i was only like i only came onto the internet when it finally hit sort of the public uh broader public um so like very early on i found my way into like looking at furry art reading furry stories and reading furry web comics um mm -hmm. so like that was kind of my entry into the community and like this was also when like some like my fort worth the fort worth library had some anime vhs in their library for rental and so i was getting into like the anime side of things and my first rl point of contact with the furry community was that mm -hmm. like i was age 15 going to an akon room party that was run by shiva um, hey okay and also uh 
Guardian, uh, he was also somebody I knew from way, way back then. Um, and he was on... So, like, I've known so, some of these local furries more than half my life, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and that, like, you, like you were saying about, like, you had these seeds of, like, the online life, and then then slowly you found it more mixing with your regular in real life. Mm-hmm. And, like, my first in-person furry convention was uh, Anthrocon 2004, um, which was in Philadelphia at... Oh, I forget what it was. It was some horrible brown hotel. And <laughs> I I remember it only because I have some really, really crappy, like, disposable camera photos from back then. And let me oh, tell wow. you, the uh, fursuit technology and general, general, like, demographics of the fandom has changed significantly for the better in the past 15, 20 years. Uh, How have you personally observed, like, the trend of going from, I guess it was more, like, than it was, yeah, like, the Robin Hoods and more of maybe the feral type of just animals to now the thick bean dad bods of the fursuit days today? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we had the, the furry community that I've seen, like, as digital artists progress, like, you you have a lot of the the old guard that are still around. You have, like, Michelle Light, Dynex Sprinkle, uh, I think Christian Jaguar is still around. Um, mm -hmm, I've heard those names. Like, there's a number of these artists that have been around forever, and, like, they started doing traditional, and they're still doing traditional by God. Um, or they've upgraded their stuff a bit. But, like, here in my office, I have, like, the 25th anniversary art collection, like, promotional poster that For Planet made up for the Michelle Light art collection that has, like, an illustration from 1995 of mm -hmm. a cute little unicorn boy that she did. And then on the front page and on the back page is that same thing redrawn in 2019. Um, oh, which is nice. really cool. Um, so like you've seen things evolve from like the strict realism of a lot of it. Like a lot of the early stuff was slightly toony or very realistic. Um, like yeah. fox faces with the little diamond eyes and all that stuff, not very stylized <laughs> at all. Versus like nowadays, it's like you have even the artists that do realistic traditional stuff, like mm -hmm. Kenket, you know, their stuff is still heavily stylized in like the face or the body. And so like we've we've evolved to be a much more stylistically broad community um, in both fursuits and uh in just art in general like story wise it's gotten only gotten broader um working with for planet you know i see a lot of the breadth of stories that people do within the community we've got you know steampunk fantasy sci-fi romance adventure sports you know the full breadth yeah of stuff. any genre yeah um and we have representatives of it in the community um and so like it's been so cool to see the fandom flourish because you know it used to be back in the day that furry hate was like the flavor of the month well flavor of the multiple years on the internet and, and now it's and like that's... we're vaguely like mainstream-ish and that's kind of the really amazing thing about it because i've heard of this kind of like you know like criticism or anything like oh god furry or whatever cringe um but so far since my entry like three four years ago in the fandom 
that's never really been the case and i've only seen positivity like in real life or any of the criticism would only be like online from you know a quote-unquote hater or whatever and it's like where where's the negativity that i was expecting (laughs) um but it's really it's really nice to see it mature in that way you know the that whole phrase say it to my face and not online and see what happens yeah Um, exactly you know more often than not nobody's people in real life are not going to go out of their way to cause a ruckus at an event to hate on some furry unless they're (laughs) feeling really ballsy and have a posse with them like that's not going to happen and because yeah you can talk all the crap you want online but when it comes to real life people are not going to mess with you for the most part and if they do at an event you just say hey security this dude's harassing me and they lose their badge and get kicked out so you know they lose either way Um, yeah that's perfect but like online it was a lot more acceptable and like a lot of the hate against furries online is rooted in homophobia and general like Mm -hmm. hatred of queerness um because well furries very 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 queer Um, yeah we're so progressive it's a very easy cover for i hate the gays to say i hate the furries because Ah, there's a lot of them that are gay they're different. Yeah. I don't like that. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. As, but nowadays online, people kind of get that for the most part. Where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if you're hating on this community, it's probably you have some other underlying hatreds on you. Um, and it, yeah, it's so funny. It's not like directly to say like you're you're not a human. I I don't like that. Stop being anthropomorphic. <laughs> yeah. So, it. I have to say that like. I think that the arc of the furry community over the last 20 years has only gotten Mm -hmm. better. Like, I am, I think the fandom's in a really good spot right now. And as we continue to, like, in terms of, like, acceptance of queerness and trans people and all that fun stuff, and, like, handling our Nazi problem, handling our pedo problems, and the like. um, And, you know, even if we have to, like, twist his arm really hard we can actually you know get for affinity to maybe clamp down on the nazis uh, yeah the way that they've been filtering that has uh, been pretty interesting over the past years the um, like, they actually had to update it recently after the most recent outcry because there's some dude that had posted like christchurch shooter fan art and i did catch wind of that yeah <laughs> and they were like well it's not directly you know it's not directly there's not a swastika on there it's like no there's all these other symbols and phrases which are directly connected to white supremacist thought online yeah they eventually had their arm twisted until it was taken down but and i believe was their account actually removed too or... uh, i think they closed their account because oh, okay okay but... But that's really nice to see. Yeah, at least when people flag enough things, it's like people are willing to like kind of rationally say, "Hey, that's that's not cool. Stop the not coolness." Yeah, it's it's just making the uh, making the community a better place to be, because you know. Yeah. Exactly. Now, one thing that I do take issue with is when you have like the younger kids, like actual minors, coming in and being like, "This is a children's space." To- there should be no power and they can go to Twitter jail. Be gone. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's really dangerous. <laughs> um, even for myself as a sometimes 18 plus artist in the community, um, I, 
putting up the the no no people under 18 kind of clause in your bio that doesn't really stop it um how do you yeah how do you handle that i mean it's it's so hard and what's like the case for the independent artists just trying to you know feed their own audience without you know the minors and everything well for for me i maintain a pretty clean feed um and like i but i do keep an eye on who follows me i do look and see like because if someone openly identifies as a minor that makes me pretty leery of them and Mm -hmm. like i generally try not to be super interactive with minors online like who who should be it's it's a gamble if anything misconstrued is misconstrued just you know protect yourself right um for artists basically what they can do is they you know they can put the 18 plus in the bio but that's not going to stop anybody but if they have the correct settings on twitter the the sensitive content sensitive media settings uh turn Mm -hmm. on basically they've put up the the you know paper wall of deniability saying well you know i've marked this as adult and if those kids are lying that's on them okay and that's the thinnest little veneer of protection that they have but it works um you know we had a little bit of a twitter uh panic a couple days ago where like people were like oh no these the group of miners is going to get together and like mass report a bunch of not safe for work artists. Oh, and gosh. then like it drilled down to, well, it was a group of people mad about Jojo's bizarre adventure stuff and then drilled down a little bit further. And it turns out it was like a single ringleader that was trying to get gay, anything gay off Twitter. So it was like drilled down far enough and you find a homophobe, which was oh, wow. just great. Um, <laughs> And it was like some 17-year-old It's like, no, get gay stuff off Twitter. It's terrible. It's like, whatever, kid. Um, yeah, okay. But so, there's, yeah, there's no, it's pretty surface level when it comes to that kind of thing. And like the same with for Affinity or any other website that has like these minor age gates where you can just say, hey, you know, like you have to be like for Affinity, you, you set the rating and that's, uh, you know, you set the rating and it's up to the person on the other side being able to flipping that on right yeah like you say this is an 18 plus piece of art or this is general audiences and it puts the onus on the person choosing to view the content to either be truthful and say well i'm a minor i shouldn't see this or i'm a horny teenager and i want to see porn (laughs) like everybody is like anybody that's like i never looked at porn before i was 18 is a liar um exactly and that's but it, it's how more everybody stays safe and plays ball online. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's I think that's really just like internet etiquette in a way. And the way that you mentioned having like this is all directed towards I guess like artists and people in general having that paper wall of like putting out your content, marking it as such, and then just letting it be out there. But to the best of your ability, you put it for the right audience. You put it for the right age level. Um, how did you uh, get into, because in, in the beginning, uh, asking about a, a little bit of your interests and uh, stuff that you've been up to, um, what is, I'm really curious, what is the audiobook narrator life like? Or um, 
Did I get that right? Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, I missed it. So oh, okay. I have a number of books up on audible.com under my real name. I have narrated the entire well, the first five books of the Out of Position series, as well as a couple other stories, uh, Summer Hill by Kevin Frayne, and I was asked back in the day to hey it's like why don't you try giving this a shot uh so basically i've been doing primarily furry stuff um Mm -hmm. it's it's side income like i'm primarily a house husband for my partner and Mm -hmm. he makes really good money so i don't have to have a minimum wage job because i have like an associate's degree i could work at walmart so just don't (laughs) um anyways so what i do uh when i'm recording when i have a content of just you know i have a my office here at home is set up to mitigate Mm -hmm. echo as much as possible and i have like sound dampening on the walls and you know i do the the reading and the editing and the posting to audible and it's Mm -hmm. generally paid on a royalty basis um so how um what is the dynamic like so then uh for like the series like kyle gold i love his work i have a lot of his books on my shelf right now um what is it like interacting with uh like the author or creator and then having to be allowed like to just i guess read the entire novel well um in my case because this kind of ties back to the for planet stuff uh just mm-hmm. being like hey i like your stories you want an audiobook made and they go yeah I mean, but that's also predicated on me having kind of a good working relationship with these people. Like, I've known them, I've seen them, I've had meals with them, I've hung out with them at cons and stuff. Like, if I was just John Q. Furry and didn't know them from a hole in the wall and didn't have, like, any sort of uh, reputation with them as someone who does audio, that would be a lot harder. But with, like, Kyle, he was looking for an audiobook series to be done of the Devin Lee series. And way back in the day, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give that a shot. And I did. Um, and I'm currently still working on the sixth book in that series, as well as his tennis one, Love Match. Mm. Um, I need to finish that up and get it to him. But uh, unfortunately, with the work-from-home situation and what my partner does, uh, mm-hmm. he's on the calls, and that makes it very hard to record at home. Oh, gotcha. And for when you're reading into the characters, I imagine, like, are you are you changing a little bit of the voice or is it just kind of one long, continuous read? Or, or do you really start playing into the characters, I could imagine? Well, what I do is I have a standing mic situation. And so, like, when I'm doing scenes, I'll pre-read them a bit. And then, like, as I'm recording them, you know, do the bit of the gesticulation and, like, kind of well act into the reading mm-hmm. and so like you have a voice for a character and well you know my voice doesn't have the greatest range but you know when you have sort of a set voice for different characters in a scene it does help um so basically it's just reading the material and figuring out how you want to do the scene and then a lot of times re-listening to it and being like uh, i don't like how that came off and possibly doing it again um for me Recording sometimes takes like up to twice the actual amount of recorded time just because I'm like, oh, wow. I, I screwed up that or the dog barked or you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, unfortunately, I live in an apartment. And so with neighbors and their dogs and stuff, sometimes it's real difficult or, oh, no, it's Thursday. The lawn crew's coming through. So oh, boy. I guess I yeah. can't record for six hours <laughs> of the day. Um, so... You know, it's just uh, getting into 
it, it's just it's some you know for me it makes my money i enjoy it and it's mm-hmm. putting furry stuff out there in a more accessible format for certain people and uh it just broadens the scope of furry media out there um, that's what i love exactly yeah so like we've got audiobooks we've got videos we've got games we've got all this stuff and so like we're just slowly but surely getting into every form of creative media um like i'm pretty sure there's some no no subgenre we haven't touched on at this point as a for as the fandom um and so like for a while there actually like going back to my days in like the pony fandom um mm-hmm. i was also doing fanfic readings for just for funsies and so um most recently i had someone ask me about it like they because my exit from that community was kind of traumatic in that like Uh-oh. the last the last year of my convention we ended up with like four credible death threats and that was kind of like you know what this isn't fun anymore. We're done. <laughs> and that was for like the not to derail too much, but that was for like the BronyCon experience. Or... Uh, yeah, that was for my when I was running uh, my Pony Convention Nightmare Nights. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, but basically, but in my active time in that community, because I was because I do audiobooks, I was also doing fanfic readings of stories that I enjoyed. So I have like a further three or four full stories plus a bunch of uh 30 to 45 minute one hour one shots that Mm -hmm. i had someone ask me about and i'm like yeah yeah i still got them they're still on my google drive and they're still on youtube they're just marked as private so i just go flick and put you know (laughs) now a playlist that's 81 videos deep that's literally my entire like pony fandom related audiobooks that i did just back available for people to do to listen oh, nice. to you, thank download. You. Thank you for that. You know, if if you build it, they will come. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> you know, because the person like I, I made a couple of videos about like sort of retrospective, and so I was like, oh god, I'm such a shame. I missed you your your audiobooks and stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I still got them, right? He's like, can I have them? I'm like, yeah, here's a link. It's like, could you put them back on YouTube? Yeah, why not? Fick. <laughs> nice. I'm pretty easy when it comes to like, hey, I want to listen to your stuff. Can I listen to your stuff? Yes. <laughs> sure. Why not? Oh, you're saving grace. And so you mentioned about like having all of these different facets. Like basically, yeah, we've dipped into every content and media that you could, I guess, with the furry fandom and who knows what. So for the direction for uh, your type of content specifically, Saverin, um, how do you view like the podcast scene for South Paws, or like what's the next thing for for South Paws, or or do you want to keep the status quo? Well, because we've shifted to doing online recordings, it's a lot easier for us because we also record over Discord like this uh, to mm-hmm. have guests on. Like I've had a couple people talk to me about like, hey, I'd like to come on to the show and discuss law, and that's just like, all right, well, hey, and I talk to fuzz and shiva and we were like yeah sure why not and just a matter of scheduling an interview um because we're doing this remote format doing interviews is actually a lot easier instead of you know all of us (laughs) sitting in a spot together but then also having someone come in remote which complex as hell um Mm -hmm. but you're gonna need a really long hookah line yeah everyone online (laughs) and that's easy um so like you know doing some interviews with people 
uh, trying to focus more on fandom, because, uh, like, the political scene of the country right now is intensely depressing. And mm-hmm. there's not, there's like, we can talk about it and we can all agree, wow, this sucks ass, but there's really nothing we can do about it right now. Um, exactly. So it's like yeah. just kind of molding the content into having, like, what sort of positive stuff can we include in this to counterbalance the general terribleness of the world? Because, like, yeah, we're still going to talk about, like, the real out there stories and like one of the fun things we got to touch on a little bit briefly was like the the department of the navy being like yeah these videos of ufos are legit they're from us what whatever (laughs) yeah there's um some like the government like branch the navy yeah confirmed that ufos are real well, they confirmed that they are indeed unidentified flying objects, you know. Oh, as I much see, as I, I would like okay. for there to be Alamos to show up and be like, hey, by the way, we're taking <laughs> over. I'm like, oh, please, hey, you can take me onto your starship anytime. Um, I know, things are kind of bad anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have all this terrible stuff happening in the world, and we have this video release confirmed from the Navy. Look, yeah, these are from us, and they are indeed objects that are flying that we can't identify therefore they are unidentified flying objects oh okay i see um, i see but, but i could see how that would be very clickbaity yeah and so you know that was like something that dropped in the news and we're like look you know we've got a lot of bad stuff coming on can you aliens come back later please yeah right? can you just chill <laughs> we got we got killer bees on the way um and like like this most recent thursday we were all really tired and ended up not recording a full episode but then like that friday i sat down and recorded like 20 minutes talking about a few things that i want to touch on because the way our news cycle goes like by the time we get around back to it next week it would be ancient history or people would forgotten it so yeah so is that format for you like these small little personal updates something that you want to sprinkle here and there i'll probably keep doing that because it's real easy and it lets me kind of focus on the stuff that I want to talk about that might not necessarily play because man I can talk about like video games and other bullshit for hours if I wanted to but that's not really going to play for Fuzz and Shiva who are far less plugged into that kind of thing or Mm -hmm. like you know the tacit agreement that man none of us want to play The Last of Us 2 because they're like making the game even more misery porn than it already is um, with the whole dog update did you see that? Um, yeah, I caught a little wind of that, and I did. I did hear. Um, I did check out your last. Uh, um, I guess you would call it, yeah, personal update uh, about how it's just. It's totally like I want to kill or I want to beat up the dogs or something in the game, and like that's just not really enjoyable. Yeah, it's like, hey, these dogs are trying to kill you, but if you kill the dog, that makes the person who trained that dog incredibly sad, which then makes them psychologically compromised, so, so you can kill them easier. Yeah, I don't really find the appeal of that personally, and it's like, do people get off on that? And I guess, yeah, that's why that's why it is misery porn, like you said. Yeah, like, um, not my thing. Yeah. Um, but actually, I guess that's why we have Animal Crossing and yep. Doom. And, <laughs> and Final Fantasy XIV and any number of games that don't involve you going out of your way to murder people's dogs to make them sad so they're easier to kill. I'm like Final Fantasy is one of those genres I can never wrap my head around just because like I see these advertisements go around from like Asian uh, markets and stuff where there's like cloud and he's holding up a cup of noodles or a butterfinger 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, I've never seen video games like advertised so hard before. It's hey, so funny. Square it, Enix loves their weird crossovers. Um, <laughs> back in the day when Final Fantasy 13 was coming out, they made a potion energy drink, which was just the crappy flavored energy drink that was in a fancy bottle that they sold in... Uh, sold in convenience stores and so they had some really bonkers advertising around then where it's like these two people are reaching for the last bottle and so they have like a final fantasy fight amongst each other oh my and gosh like the winner gets like numbers flying off them and everything and then the winner gets to drink the potion and it restores their health a little bit it's just square enix Actually, loves that stuff that's the kind of like clicky like clutchy is that the right term clutchy type of collector stuff that i think that would be pretty nice actually yeah it's like, oh, yeah. It's a neat bottle. Apparently doesn't taste very good, though. Oh. No, it's probably like 80% sugar or something. Yep. Uh, so, anyway. Oh, damn. We've been running for a good hour, though. Um, so, I'd like to just, first of all, formally thank you so much for making the time uh, to just sit with me on Tree Bark. And I honestly, like through through like the past week or two it's just been kind of rough personally for a lot of people and mm-hmm. like scheduling everything so I, I just can't thank you enough for helping me get back on the ball and then getting these interviews going um so are there any last plugs or things that you like uh, people to know about southpaws or Saverin? what's up all right well you can find uh south podcast south podcast which is the name of the podcast um on twitter at south podcast you can find us uh all our information there find us how to subscribe us you can find us on all your favorite podcatchers um and we're a weekly show uh older furries current events show that we've been doing forever the most recent episode was 463 um a lot of those older episodes are gone to the mists of time but you know it is one of those things we've been doing forever um you can find me on twitter at Severn drake and uh, on Twitch at Saverin, though I'm really bad at streaming because, hey, depression. Um, but I play video games there occasionally, and that's really kind of it for the plug. I mean, uh, you know, hopefully people can come to Furry Fiesta 2021. We'll see what happens, right? Uh, but other than that, man, I don't think I've got any other, like, major plugs to do right now. Um, go find my book. Go find the Kyle Gold books on Audible. Check those out if you want a pretty lengthy furry audiobook series that will have more entries soon. Check it out. Awesome. So thank you very much for joining me for this creator interview. Go check out Saverin and go check out the, the podcast Southpaws. They're super awesome. I've been listening to them for the past three years and many more to come. So you guys have a good night. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Saverin. That was I, fun. I loved it. That was good. Ah, oh, nice. Thank you so much to my Patreon supporters, starting with the Patron Pups, Adrian Eves, Ben Campbell, Cord Hull, Damian Adams, Knock82562, Kodavir, Michael Draws, Roadwolf, Tyler Green. And a huge thanks to the official Good Boy supporters, Archon Inu, Black Mothwitch, Francis Booth, Howler, Jason, Kogo, and OK Dougal. And a huge shout out to the Top Dog supporters, starting with Atorius Nightwalker, Bryce, Damon, Ella Ryra, Ferris, Hattie, Jay Wolf, John Dem, Moody, and Yodu Pandawolf. 
Thank you so much guys for supporting my work. And if you'd like to see future endeavors, you can support me on Patreon at Shikokubo. And you can also follow my work on Twitter or FA at Shikokubo. That's S-H-I-K-O-K-U-B-O. Take care.